Welcome to The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. On The Purposeful Project podcast, we share real-life stories from some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. We like to think our podcast will provide mentorship to those that need it and give you access to the knowledge you need to start and scale a business. To hear these incredible stories, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music or anywhere you listen to podcasts or you can simply visit purposefulproject.com. Hugh, welcome to the show. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's nice to chat to you. Likewise. Well, um, I'd like to start off if you could kindly tell my audience a little bit about your background. Yeah, so um, I'm Hugh, obviously. I'm from the UK. I do now live in the US. So this is, you're in Belsize Park. I'm in New York. Um, I moved here two years ago tomorrow, actually. So tomorrow is my US anniversary. The second year living here has been different to my first year living here for obvious reasons. Uh, but I'm originally from uh, Worcester near Birmingham. Um, grew up there basically for the first 20 years of my life. Uh, didn't really leave. Only been to London a couple of times by the time I was 21. Um, moved, to the, moved to London to start work. I started work at Heinz Ketchup in the marketing team. Um, and then I moved to Vitacoco, the coconut water company, when that just launched in Europe. And then started my own business. Uh, but when I grew up, I was always, you know, on the entrepreneurial side of things, different side hustles and the eBay addiction when I was 15, 16. Um, and so starting a business is always, always the natural route for me. Um, but yeah, no, um, ugly is now, you know, four or five years old, started it in London, built the business there and then moved to the U S two years ago. Uh, we're now in 15,000 stores. Uh, we sell online as well. We sold our 2 millionth can online in the U S yesterday. Um, and we're now available Los Angeles, Arizona, Tennessee, New York, London, Scotland, uh, different countries in Europe too. So we've come a long way having started it around uh, kitchen table ultimately in, in London. Impressive story and I absolutely love the product and uh, I always like to tell my audience up front how I feel about an entrepreneur's product and I absolutely love what you're doing. I love its ethos. I love the uh, in-your-face kind of ugly concept. It's really, really cool. And so, yeah, I, I'd love to hear the story, how it kind of began. You mentioned around a dining room table. What, what, what actually was the, the moment that it became a real thing? Yeah, so, so Joe, and I, Joe and I met whilst working at Vitacoca, the coconut water business. So we were, you know, we were in our early 20s, so um, joined that business when it just started in London, um, I'm sure you know at the blue cartons, Rihanna was in the advertising. It's a big phenomenon now. But at the time, no one had ever heard of it. And I think we both kind of got our feet wet learning the grind of building a new beverage or certainly a healthier beverage for consumers. Um, we became best mates during the process and had this kind of, okay, well, we can't get a regular job after this. We wear, you can wear shorts to the office, there are palm trees in the office and a hammock. You can't really go back to corporate life after that. Um, so it became very natural that Joe and I would start a business together and we never really had the conversation to say, let's do it. It was just going to happen. We worked, we were working together every day anyway. Um, but what really has fired us both up was that you have, you know, yes, coconut water is great, but it's slightly premium pricing. Um, it's a acquired taste and ultimately just soda was such a big issue. And we, you know, my mum was a diabetic nurse. She still is she's still a nurse. She still specializes in diabetes. Joe's sister actually worked for a diabetes charity at the time. Um, this is long before Jamie Oliver pushing on sugar tax and things like this. So was very aware of the sh- impact of sugar in beverages. Um, and very, also very passionate about consumers at scale. So I know there's lots of trends and I love these trends in New York, Los Angeles, London, healthy beverages. But what we felt was, you know, what is everybody really able to afford? And so we worked back from taking all the bad stuff out of soda. So ugly is a flavored sparkling water. It's kind of where the idea came from. And then being two kind of 23, 24 year olds after a few beers in the pub in London, um, obviously going with disruptive branding that would take on the big soda companies made the next step. Calling it ugly might have been the pint, one pint too many, but it's actually been, um, uh, you know, it means so much. We tell the ugly truth. Uh, we give back to charity as well. We support gender equality globally uh, with a partner called Girl Up. So we donate from every can sold. And generally, we're just trying to expose the bad, dark side of soda. Um, there's 100 million obese Americans, um, almost 15 million obese Brits. Um, so much of that obesity is caused by overconsumption of sugar. And when it's in a liquid form, you just consume it so quickly. 
and that's just something we wanted wanted to change. So Ugly's a flavored sparkling water, no sugar, no sweetener, no calories. Uh, hopefully as refreshing as a can of soda, but without any of the bad stuff that causes, um, you know, overconsumption of sugar or chemicals or anything like that. So it's kind of where it came from. And um, the first steps were very far away from where we are today. So anybody who like looks up ugly today probably feels overwhelmed by how much work we've done. But the reality is we started without a clue what we were doing um, on day one. So that's it's kind of really been us learning as we go. Sometimes that can be a good way. I think that's a good thing for my listeners to pick up on. I'm sure if you'd done the research on the drinks market and realized how hard it was going to be to get into 15,000 stores and sell 2 million cans, you might never have done it. Totally. Yeah. And if, and if I knew what I knew now, I, I might not do it as well, right? Ah. Um, now knowing how difficult it is. But I agree with you. If you're passionate about something and have a vision um, and somebody tells you it's not possible, not listening to them is a key attribute of being an entrepreneur, I think. There's a bit of stubbornness there. And it's something I personally have had to get the balance right on, listening to people and ignoring people. I'm sure you've been the same in your career as well, Simon. It's uh, sometimes a strength, sometimes a weakness. And I think as I, as the company grows and I, you know, we have more employees, I have to listen to more people. And I've learned to learn that the hard way sometimes as well. I've learned to listen by being a podcast host. I, you know, I have to listen. <laughs> yes, I can see you listening now. Yeah, <laughs> to carefully do it. You know, but, uh, but did you do first thing you do was was figure out the brand and the product, or did you go and make the product and, and do tasting? What was the first few steps? Yeah, so I mean, I always talk about the very first few steps because it seems overwhelming, right? If I guess people listening, if they're thinking about starting a business, and for context, I I would listen to podcasts like this, and I still do. So I'm fascinated by how businesses get that first step because you look at brands today, Gymshark, Nike, away suitcases. You're like, how have they got to making all these products? But it all starts with the first step. And, you know, for Joe and I, it was trying to find someone who could make it really. Is this possible? Um, is this something we should invest more time into? And we, at the time were just two like 23 year olds with uh, hotmail accounts and embarrassing email addresses from when we were kids. Um, and we were emailing factories, getting no replies, um, trying to find someone who could make it. And ultimately, a few little hacks, I guess, we could give to people. The first thing we did was buy a domain name that looked professional. And then we both put, like, co-CEO, co-founder or whatever in the email signature. Um, and obviously, when you email a factory and it says uh, CEO or co-founder of a company in the signature versus, you know, my embarrassing Hotmail email address, we started getting replies. Um, and obviously we got introductions and it's funny because we now work with factories that turned us down on day one. So, you know, there's a story for anyone. We, we've now got access to the places that said no to us initially. Um, we had a lot of people say no. And I always think the question that we asked that I would tell anyone who gets turned down by any supplier or investor is, do you know someone who can help? Um, and, and pretty much our whole supply chain and the whole way we make it was joined together by, um, asking people if they knew anyone else who could help us. And that's how you get the introductions. Um, and slowly over time, if you keep knocking on doors and keep speaking to people, um, and I'd also suggest speaking to other founders and other people who've started food and beverage businesses, um, you start slowly to, to build a network of people who can help you do it. And I think um, it's so overwhelming when you, certainly if you look at Ugly today, right, the, the, the distance we traveled, and I don't reflect on it enough coming from where we've come from, but, you know, it would look, it would look like a huge mountain to climb, but the only way to do it is one step at a time. And those first, the first year is a lot of like joining the dots and working it out as you go. Um, I'd say in, in this industry that I work in, most founders had help up the ladder. So most people ask for help and the people who are really successful also had help up the ladder and therefore are willing to give it as well. So from my point of view, always happy to help make introductions to new founders and entrepreneurs. So if anybody wants to get in touch, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, but yeah, that's always been our philosophy and we are something I've always felt. And not quite often you feel like people are out of reach and you can't reach out and get that advice. But generally we've never had anybody be difficult really, mm. um, which I think is, says a lot about food and beverage. I don't know what it's like in other industries, but it's always been pretty collaborative for us. So that's kind of how we got going, really. Great insights. You've, you mentioned so many things that I want to make sure the audience pick up on. I think I, I, one thing I really believe in myself too is that the entrepreneurial community generally, 
you could ask us anything. We've all found it hard to make it. I don't care who you are. It's never been easy all the way through. So when you see the next generation of entrepreneurs coming through, you know, you know, helping them means a lot to us to give back. Right. But people don't ask enough. They don't they don't know. And sometimes they don't know what to ask in fairness, but they don't even try to reach out because I do do find that a lot of entrepreneurs are quite alone. They feel alone in their businesses. Right now, I'm noticing that a lot. A lot of, of course, mental health issues where people just they're looking after their staff. They're looking after their customers. They're looking after their families. But who's looking after them? Right. So I think entrepreneurs, we we do need to come together and and be there for each other. So and we are, I think, if you ask. Couldn't agree more. I think this is the certainly the hardest like six months I've found being a founder. I mean, I'm working on my own in uh, in my apartment pretty much all the time in America, and I've not been back to the UK this year. So I can I can relate to you know there's you know you're we're in this, and you know I don't have a boss as such, right? I don't have someone to lean on work wise. So sticking with the community and building a group of found, close founder friends that you can you know rely on has been a big part of my life as well. And I speak to probably five to 10 founders that I've become close with over the journey on almost daily basis now, because they get it. They get those issues. And I think that's important as well. I mean, another element you've mentioned uh, there, your um, founder, your co-founder, Joe, um, I think that that is such an important piece too. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you sat around the table, you had this idea, you had a problem that you all felt quite personal about because it's in your backgrounds, in your families. Diabetes, of course, being a big problem for a lot of families. But you and Joe connecting and maybe inspiring each other because the co-founder relationship is something I want to explore, basically. The question I'm asking is, yeah. you know, do you, do you feel you know, co-founder is vital? Or do you feel people can start a business on their own? How has it played out for you? I, I, I think it depends on on your situation. I think... I think it's dangerous to go out searching for a co-founder. I think I, I've read, you know, there's a few quotes on it and a few bit, there's lots of interesting reading on it, but they always say you generally will know your co-founder already or you won't. Right. So I think when there's like co-founder dating and things like that, I feel a little uncomfortable with that. I feel it has to be a natural chemistry. Um, what I do think is, you know, obviously, you know, Joe and I've grown up a lot during this process as well. So it's been a process of growing together. And I think that, so when you are going into these relationships, you have to think about how life plays out from, for us, from like 24 to early thirties, right? Um, and how you're going to navigate what life throws at you as well as the business. If you're starting a business, you need to be in it for 10, 20 years. This isn't a, you know, there's, you, you hear about a few stories that are like one year, flip it, make some money, get out. But that's generally not what you should prepare for. You should prepare for going into business either on your own or with someone that you are willing to get into lots and lots of trouble with in like the deepest, like biggest issues you can imagine and imagine worse stuff happening than that. That is what you're going to have to go through if you want to build a business. Mm. So, you know, for us, I, I think you, you have to have a natural chemistry and you have to have a natural shared vision. Um, and then you have to have a balanced skill set. Um, then you're going to have to go through a bunch of really tough stuff. And I think for me and Joe, the highs were higher maybe than we expected. And then the lows were much lower. And there's a lot of lows um, that were way more pronounced and has remained way more pronounced than I ever expected, you know, going into, you know, it, the business has been tough until March, 2020, right? The business has been, it's not been an easy ride. And then you hit COVID and you're like, wow, this is, you know, this is what we have to survive through. We've also gone through Brexit in the UK, gone through, you know, different economic issues, like different pre- president change here that, you know, changes how you, you've got employees in different markets, employees in different places where they're impacted by, you know, recently we've had, you know, forest fires in California. We've had team get catch COVID in market in Tennessee. You know, there's always a different obstacle coming. So you need to be going, okay, it's exciting having that beer and coming up with an idea, but is this someone who's going to be there, you know, when it really hits the fan in like three or four years time. So you will, you will need to find someone like that. Or if you're, I mean, being a sole founder is a serious undertaking too. So you have to, you have to have a serious support network around you to navigate that as well. Um, But yeah, there's no perfect way to do it, but that would be my, my take on it is that you need to know it's going to get tough. Well, it's going to be choppy waves coming. I mean, it's 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 a marriage, isn't it? Really. I mean, ultimately, yeah. it's, a, it's a very long commitment. Did Joe move with you to New York when you moved there two years ago? No. So, so Joe is in London. So that's I think that's another a layer. unique element of our 
co-founder relationship is that we, you know, certainly this year we've not seen each other in person um, for obvious reasons. And I think, again, that's been a unique twist on in the tale. Um, so, yeah, um, Joe has been, been to the U.S. a bunch of times. So we were like, we've done some cool stuff where we like, when we launched our business in Phoenix in Arizona, we were both in Phoenix, like stacking shelves in the desert. Like this, that's a pretty crazy experience to share with someone. But, you know, Joe and I have gone through so many dark, tough times in the business as well. Um, like we've, we've been there head in hands, despairing, like probably more times than we've been high-fiving, cheering. So um, it's important for everyone to know that context. Certainly when you look at Ugly and, you know, if you Google Ugly's company name, hopefully we're pretty honest and transparent when we talk on podcasts and things like that. But I think it's important for everyone to know you start a business, it's a, it's a 10, 20 year thing minimum really. And it's really mainly tough. <laughs> so whoever you have around you, and I'd even say this for people you hire need to be people you're willing to get into trouble with basically and investors too. And one of our investors specifically said that we invest in businesses we would get into trouble with basically. And I think that was one of the things I remember when they said that I was like, yeah, we want these guys to come and invest in what we're doing. Mm. Um, Sometimes people want all the glory and other hard work as well. So you have to be wary of that. Again, yeah. just that's my, I guess that's my advice in some ways, going, having gone through it. It's, it's such good insights, Hugh. And I, think, I want the audience to make sure, you know, they, they're making notes on this. I think the big element for me of what you're highlighting is ultimately, you know, it's a, it's a journey you're on with people that you've got to make sure have the same ethos as you, same moral code as you, probably even sense of humor as you, you know, that, that makes a huge difference, right? And then that getting into trouble piece is really interesting. I think a lot of people yeah, don't examine that enough. Someone, an investor will come along, give them the money, they think box ticked, but actually you need those people to really care about your mission. And as you say, want to get in there and be happy to hang out with you on a Sunday, for example, regardless. No, that's it. And um, I would say as well, starting a business is like basically the biggest personal growth uh, journey you can possibly put yourself on. Um, so as a, a person, you're not talking about anyone else. I've pushed myself well outside my comfort zone pretty much every day, um, which comes with consequences, right? It comes with huge growth. And, you know, by the age of 30, I've done a lot of things that a lot of people would never do in their careers. I've had a lot of exciting things happen, but also a lot of crushing disappointments and uh, rejections from investors or customers and difficult business issues that, you know, most people might never encounter in their career. So mentally that does take it out on you. And I'd say first, first half of running this business, I didn't take care of myself well enough. Um, certainly being like in my early twenties, you think you're bulletproof and it always catches up with you. Um, and I know I'd heard that advice too. And I've listened to podcasts where people say it and I still ignored it. Um, but it's a reality. So you have to look after yourself as well as have people around you that can look after you as well. And, um, I've kind of learned that the hard way, I think. So it's taking, uh, it's taking knowledge that you're sharing now and, and making sure somehow it does make a difference at least to a couple of people, because what you're talking about is so important. The health side that is you can't yeah. buy your health back you can buy a doctor to help you That's with it. health but you can't actually buy health you know so so you really do need to take care of it and so many people and i was exactly the same as you you yeah. I exactly the same I, I think you just you think you're invincible you think you're always going to be healthy and and then later it catches up with you and, and why do that you know why why not take time out to be healthy every day it's just as important so it's a company risk not yeah. to isn't it no, and I think I think I've learned that the hard way. Ultimately, I mean, we stretched ourselves massively, and I don't I don't regret anything. I think, um, what do they say? It, fa- failure, you know, you you never f- lose if you fail, right? Or make a mistake. You either learn something, or you like carry. You know, you're always learning something. So, you know, going through the startup journey, it's kind of like accelerating a lot of life learning. Um, so I do feel lucky to have learned a lot of this stuff but there have been a lot of moments that are like painful bumps and personally gone through that mentally and physically didn't take care of myself. Didn't get the right support network around me. Didn't have the right habits in place. And it's like getting on a treadmill at full speed. At some point it's not going to, you're not going to carry on, right? You might be able to go for two hours, three hours on the treadmill at full speed, but you know, it's just not possible. So it's getting balance, I think is the ultimate key because like I say, this is a marathon as well. So you're kind of sprinting at marathon pace for much of it. And, and so you have to really find ways to cope with that. Um, 
and I'm not trying to put anyone off here because I think being an entrepreneur is the most like rewarding, fulfilling thing you can do. That's my opinion. But I do think you have to prepare yourself for it. And certainly if you're just starting out, you can avoid a lot of pain and heartache by putting processes in place for yourself and a support network around you. Again, much easier probably second time round as a founder to know this stuff's coming. First time out, learning learning by making mistakes too. So I have to accept it and move on with those lessons, I think. Well, you can see people like Elon Musk, you know, he's, he's, he's well documented. He's very unhealthy looking, you know, he doesn't take care of himself. He might be changing the world, but it's not it's not good to be that way. He's got five kids, for example. I mean, it's just you've got to yeah. you've got to focus in on, on yourself as well as, as the company and the vision and all that. It's such a, such a good point and um, really important to to take everything you read online and read in books with a pinch of salt as well. And I'm not, again, you say Elon Musk, you know, he's a unique one, right? But, and he's kind of, it's kind of a, he's kind of a freak. You can't aspire to be like that. I mean, he's incredibly bright and talented, works insanely hard, but he's making some serious sacrifices. Um, and some of them he doesn't need to make. I guess that's yeah. the point we're making here. I think you don't need to sacrifice your health to be successful. Somehow that does yeah. seem to be, you know, work, 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 and somehow, you know, you'll get lucky and, and things will be good. And actually, you know, there's, there, I guess if we can download the experience that you're talking about into a young mind, it would be like, you can have yeah. both. If there's anything to, if you can have your cake and eat it, that's it, right? That probably is well, it. Exercising in the morning, taking care of yourself, discipline, systems. That's it. And, and, I, and I'm sure you're the same, son, but I've met a lot of, in quotes, successful, wealthy people now, billionaires, multi-millionaires who've sold businesses. I've met, you know, upwards of 50 to 100 at this point. Um, and I don't necessarily aspire to be any of them. Yeah. So it's, whereas when you, if you'd have asked me at 24, I'd probably have said that's what I want. But you have to have your own version of success and also know what your own goals are and then stick to them and it's very hard, especially when you're competitive like I am, to to kind of almost shut out other businesses, other founders, news. It's really hard because you're also competitive and we are competing for space and retailers, consumer mindshare, investors' money. Um, and being competitive is a good thing too, but it, you know, it's really de- careful to not compare. Comparison is the thief of joy, right? If you're comparing yourself to other startups you're only looking at the positive side. It's the same as in social media for personal life. Look at other founders on holiday, white sands, palm trees. You have no idea what's going on in the personal life, right? Um, so I think just really centering yourself and focusing on that is the key. And by all means, I'm, I sound like some sort of like guru, pretending to be a guru here, but I'm only learning by making these mistakes myself, right? So yeah. um, four or five years in, if, if you'd have asked me two years in, I would not have said that. So now kind of learning you know, person going through a stage of personal growth, like that's very clear to me now. Um, and have to kind of recreate my own life and a business that allows me to have more of that balance in it, which, you know, takes some time to adjust. Well, I, I appreciate you being so honest and, and sharing it. And I, and I, even if a couple of people pick up on this and, and look after themselves a bit better, I would say, uh, you know, it's uh, it's 20 minutes well spent. Yeah. So thank thank you so yeah. much for doing that. I mean, I, I, I've, uh, I, I, I wonder, you know, you mentioned earlier a little bit about, um, you know, friendship with Joe. And um, what about you know, relationships? I mean, did how did you how I can talk about myself for a second. I've always found it very hard. I actually had to marry my business partner. That, that, you know, you can't marry Joe probably, but I, I you know, I, I found that that was the only way to keep kind of a, a life going. So my, my business partner ended up being my wife. But how about you? Yeah. How do you, how do you manage that side of things? No, I, I found that very challenging, I think. Uh, and that's, you know, being a process, um, had a great girlfriend when I lived in London because I moved here indefinitely, didn't quite work out. Um, so that was a sacrifice, not a sacrifice, I guess. There's a sacrifice to my mental health in that process too. Running the business in the US and UK definitely changed me as a person. So that evolved in a way that I don't have any regrets, but I think that is, again, it affects a lot of people around you if you don't take care of yourself, which I wasn't. Um, And I think looking back, that has a big impact on people around you, whether it's relationships or family or friends. Um, So obviously you have to look after number one in order to be the present for everybody else. But yeah, it's, it's been a big sacrifice and, you know, um, it is very hard to separate and look back and say, I'd change X and Y knowing where you are now. Um, but I think the only way to really have that sort of stability is to, is to look after yourself. I think that's my big learning. And if, when I'm not, I'm, I can end up draining people around me and that's just not fair. 
So, you know, right now I'm, you know, focused on looking after myself and getting the business into a good place. And hopefully that will play out in a positive way in the future on that side of things. But yes, it's not been easy. And there's some really good books in it. I think Brad Feld has written a good book on uh, relationships with founders um, and how you can build systems and put systems in place to, as a, in a relationship to, to uh, manage that better. And I think, uh, having made mistakes myself, I think I've, you know, would, would revisit that um, and put some processes in place to deal with it. But it's not easy. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting point too, because in, in businesses, I guess, and the way you've managed to scale, I'm sure, is through systems. You've got a distribution system, you've got a marketing system, you know, you start off doing it manually and then you have a system. I guess people don't do that with their own lives though, do they? No. I mean, even me now, it's kind of almost like the pennies dropped in the last 12 months. I think COVID's given me a lot of time to reflect. Um, Normally would be traveling a lot, a lot of travel in the US, also back to the UK, kind of 100 mile an hour. And you don't quite realize it was like, I think for me, COVID was like musical chairs and the music stopped and I was left with what I have, which is, I was like, oh, it's not quite right. And there's a lot of things out of balance here. Um, so now we're six months into reflecting on that, aren't we, as a as a collective? And I think everyone's kind of gone within themselves a bit, reflected on it. But I think as a founder, it's I mean, it's definitely not a blessing business-wise. Trust me, that is. But as um as a person, I think I found it a useful period to really reflect on what was good about life before COVID and what maybe I will change going forward. I don't. I personally don't dream of going back to normal. Like I don't it wasn't quite perfect. I was pretty burnt out and it was pretty hectic. Um, so I think uh, cliched new normal, I think is an exciting chance for us all to reassess what was important uh, personally and professionally. Um, as much as I miss having an office and meeting people in person, also, you know, flying to pitch a retailer in you know, whatever state, it's a long way to go for an hour's meeting and a lot of like, there's, there's something nice about everyone accepting that you're just going to be able to do the meeting on Zoom and make a deal, right? Somehow there was this whole thing before that you couldn't make a deal over Zoom. You've got to meet and shake yeah. hands and walk around the stores. But why? You know, the product's good enough. <laughs> put it on the shelves, you know, or don't. You know, it's, it's kind of straightforward, it. isn't it? And we are, miss, we are missing some human moments. There are big trade shows, big events where you can really build bonds with people. But I think if anything, it's democratized it a little bit. Um, we're still getting used to it. But I think that's from a business point of view been really interesting. And then from a personal point of view, yeah, just reflecting. It's been, you know, it's not an easy process for everyone. COVID is like one of the craziest, strangest things we'll ever go through, if not the craziest. Um, but it's not that bad, really. Like it's weird, you know, we're, you know, within living memory, grandparents survived Second World War. You know, people throughout history have gone through really difficult periods. And it's obviously very tragic, but, you know, like they always said, all we had to do was sit at home, really. Yeah, I love. There's a meme going around about that, which I love, which is you know, guys in the trenches waiting, waiting to go over the top in Second yeah. World War, or you're sitting down watching Netflix. You know, it's um, yeah, it's, it's I not... always remember at my school we had like a board on the wall of um, basically people at 18, 17 had gone into the First World War and right. had passed, and the list was long. So I've always felt very privileged that we haven't had to do that, and um. Yeah, but the mental health part of uh, this is prolonged and it's difficult. Um, yeah, I think I think also that's the that's the piece that's hard to quantify. I mean, it's it's very different to having to go to war, but that doesn't mean to say it's not a psychological problem for people. I mean, definitely. I I, I, find but I think, it, I think I'm trying to see it as an opportunity. I guess is my point in yeah. the sense of, okay, what have I learned? What can I learn? Where can I improve? Um, so certainly, my physical health has gone up the agenda recently. Um, and so the benefits of that have been big. Whereas before being hundred mile an hour, commuting, traveling, I always had an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> the excuse yeah. got pulled away. And actually it was like, like I said, musical chairs, music stops. And then you're like, okay, I've really got to look at this stuff now. Yeah. I, lo- um, I love the musical chairs analogy. Cause I think that's happened to a lot of people. The music suddenly stopped and people are like, oh, actually, do I like the room I'm in? Do I like the people yes. I hang out with? Am I, do I like who I am? You know, and these, these are good things yeah. to ask yourself. And sometimes there's no yeah. time to ask yourself when you've got to get a 5am flight, you know, to get somewhere to 
pitch something and you know, there's no time for any of that when you're when you're running around so yeah and you are you keep always full volume right and totally yeah and your 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 attitude is um you know why you're successful i think this is one trait i really believe is important for entrepreneurs we're we're generally quite optimistic despite the tough things that are happening right now and they've always been tough things coronavirus happens to be a particularly tough thing but there's always been challenges right so it's it's kind of also um you know a a question of like what is the benefit of of all of this you know so and i love the fact that you take that from it Weirdly, I don't think my life changed that much, you know, with COVID. I think it was just more challenges thrown my way from a business point of view. Um, and, I, you know, again, we're having this conversation without the big human cost here, which is obviously very tragic for a lot of people. Um, yeah, being an entrepreneur, you're kind of fighting challenges every day. So when this happened, I was like, oh, of course, there's a global pandemic that we now have to navigate. Right? Of course, it was no different when, you know, our cans all exploded on a production run or there was a tornado in Florida that meant we couldn't move trucks around and there's always something going on. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I feel. So, uh, the first question I normally ask on the podcast, but I've enjoyed (laughs) chatting to you so much. I've I've gone off track, but I I wanted to understand from you what you felt success was. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And if you look back at the last kind of 20 minutes we've been chatting, obviously my view of that has changed. I think if you'd asked me when I was 24, I'd have been like, I want $100 million and I want, um, I ne- never want the flashy things, but I, you know, the number is important. But you begin to realize it's not. It, it's success is, I think, balance. And I think that is the real thing I've learned. And I've always had an extreme version of success. Um, but for me, it is having a, a balance that allows you to have clarity and calmness, I think. Um, in a way that makes people around you feel good and makes yourself feel good. And I think if you can, that, that's my big learning. I've always been very extreme um, and I'm trying, I'm realizing now how, how I feel impacts my colleagues, impacts my friends, impacts my family. So I need to be in almost in control. And I think if you can be in control of your emotions, then I think that is a goal for success for me now. Um, having been someone that's driven off emotions since I was a kid, really, always some sort of frustration driving me and trying to then get that under control. I think if I can get that under control, that will be success and whatever else will come with that will be great. But again, if you don't ask me five, five, 10 years ago, I'd have said, you know, I want to, you know, be like Richard Branson, which, you know, was a big inspirational book for me being when I was a kid. Um, so yeah. And, and I love creating, I think for me personally, creating new stuff and creating stuff that goes into the world is my favorite bit of it. So the, the the Willy Wonka, what's the song, Pure Imagination uh, from the Charlie and Chocolate Factory movie. I've always felt that's like the song that, or the, that kind of sums up what being a founder is like for me. And that's what I want my life to be like is coming up with new things. Mm. So ugly is one thing, but it doesn't define me. Um, and I think that's been a big thing to separate too, is that you have such a strong brand and gone on such a long journey that you can, I can separate my highs and my lows with the company. Uh, but in reality, it's like, it's just one thing. And if I can keep that creative mindset going, then I think that would be success to put more stuff out into the world and see if it works. Success, whether it's successful financially or not, I think anyone who puts an idea out there and tests it, that's success. Like most people never get there. Mm, I, um, I love that too. I think that's so true. I think so many people are scared of even trying because of the fact that they won't make it. They don't, and that, that's the regret people have when they die, the things they don't do. So it's a, yeah, a good that's message. That's a great point. Yeah, and I love the point. Looking back on your deathbed, right? What you're going to regret? It's probably as hard as ugly is now. In 50 years' time, I probably won't be thinking about how hard it was. I'll probably be glad I did it and have no regrets that we tried it in America and pushed myself that hard um, and made some mistakes. You won't think about those through the rose-tinted specs, right? Yeah, and I think you know the fact you have gone out there, you built a brand, you put it into the world. No one can ever take that from you, no matter what happens financially. You made that happen. Uh, with your friend that's i think it. that's really special and i think a lot of people should should uh, you know take a note of that and if they've got an idea just do it because because that's the thing that's going to really leave you with a legacy that's the money that's in the it. bank you can't take with you but but the story yeah. um is something you forever will be uh, on the internet at least 
<laughs> as long as the internet doesn't block me, yeah. But, well, I'll, uh, I'll make sure they don't. You know, for our podcast, we'll at least be able to document you. I, I also, bad, I was, good and bad social media posts are all out there. Yeah, that. Well, yeah, yeah, of course they are for us all. But I also like the point you make, and I want people to pick up on it: the the control the fire piece. Because I think anyone out there that feels an entrepreneur fire, it can do two things to you. I think that fire it can motivate you and demotivate you at the same time. It can push yeah. you so hard. It can make you do the things that you're doing, you know, moving to the US, leaving your best friend, leaving your family. Off you go, go to make conquer the US, right? And it's an amazing drive. But it can actually also make make things happen in your life that perhaps, for example, tire you out, you know, that, that drain yeah. you, that don't leave you enough energy to give yourself that time. So controlling that fire, yeah. I've not heard it before, but I think it's a really, really, really good point and a really nice way no, of explaining it. No, you summarized it well in terms of re- referencing it as a fire too and exactly summarizing how I feel about it. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, I, I also like your your definition of success. I think it's really good uh, for people to also think about. I mean, again, it's easy. Um, I'm, I was probably like you, if you'd asked me at 20, what a success, 100 million in the bank, there we go. Yeah. But you know, as, as you mature, I wish I could give that knowledge to people. It's really about what you do, not what you make right it's yeah that, that's, totally. that's so true i mean I, I, I jumping to my my other favorite question which is do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred i, I think it's a combination i think you know i'm my parents are phenomenal and have created a very safe environment for me to feel you know risk is risk for a white middle class male from the uk is very different to other people right like I don't have that much to lose in reality. So I'm very aware of that. And so, you know, but my mum and dad had the same job for all their life, all my life, right? Same jobs. So when you have that sort of stability, being risky and taking risk is different, I think. So everybody has their different level of risk of what being an entrepreneur and founder is like. Um, I've still taken a lot of risk, obviously, but, you know, that's your safety net, being white male, like, well, you know, pretty well educated. It's, it's not that much risk. There's not, so that's my take. I'm very aware of that. Whereas for a lot of people, it's a lot different. Um, but there is something inside me that has been there since as long as I can remember a frustration with the way things are done. Uh, pretty much any school project from even a young age, there's just a competitiveness and a creativity that I think is innate. And then I think my mum and dad, fed me lots of different information very, like put me to made me work lots of different jobs um you know worked in a cafe did litter picking worked in a factory worked in a warehouse um i've done you name it i worked at a hotel porter like i've done all these things to work out why i didn't want to do them anymore um and then obviously travel traveled a lot when i was younger read a lot of interesting books like when i was a kid so i think having a lot of inputs then ha- allows you to have a lot you know but alongside having it, but there is something within me that is just a fire that is uncontrollable that I can't imagine ever going out. And that has just always been in me. And I think there's no one in my family who's ever done like this. My mum and dad have never pushed me to do anything. Um, never told me to do anything. So it's a lot of self-drive. I don't know where that comes from. I often ask myself because like you say, it doesn't always, it's not always a good thing. Um, so it's 50, 50. But sometimes and I, think I, think, a people, I think a lot of people, a lot of people would envy having that self drive, but I don't. Oh, totally. it's, it's a delicate thing, right? It is. It is. It is a fire, as you say. You're you're playing yeah. with fire in a way. But I think it's interesting there, the analytical view of like. A parents are entrepreneurs then you're more likely to be an entrepreneur but i think what's actually true and listening to your story reinforces it for me is that sometimes parents that don't push you in a way the only way you're going to get things done is pushing yourself and you you feel the other side you see kids like you've got to go and do this you've got to go and do that by the time they're 30 they don't want to do any of it yeah and and that's it and my mum and dad always wanted the best for me right so it's they didn't, they, they, but they support, they're supportive. They're still supportive now and have never said, Oh, I don't think you should start a company called ugly. That sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> never, never, really haven't, didn't pass opinion. And generally when we hang out, we don't talk about it too much because I think they're like, it needs a break from it. Um, so, you know, without that support, wouldn't be doing this. Um, they haven't done an intervention so I, on you. Like, hold on a minute. You're working too hard. You know, like, then, Oh, I get that. I get that for sure. Yeah. Um, have some soup, sit down, like, get- no, yeah, my dad's never like, or my mum's never like, what's the PL saying? How much, what's the, what's your gross margin this month? Like, I don't think they really care. They'd mm. rather I was happy and healthy, mm. which I think is allowed, gives me the support to then, uh, you know, get on with things. But I would say, you know, coming from 
the middle of England, having lots of different friends, lots of different backgrounds, traveling, reading lots of books, listening to lots of things, absorbing lots of information, ended up putting me in a position where you can kind of join a lot of stuff together really quickly. Um, and also in, in the beverage industry, I have to talk to venture capitalist in New York who's been to Harvard. And then I also will go to Tennessee and pitch a storekeeper in the middle of, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And you have to have that ability to flex. And I, I wouldn't have learned that, I think, I don't know, in a different environment, maybe. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm not some sort of social chameleon genius, but I think having lots of exposure to lots of different things is, and having, you know, working some of those jobs as well balances you in a way where you can empathize with people. And I think that's important as a founder. Totally. Um, I think England's actually quite good in this regard because, you know, I, I was a yeah. dishwasher for a while, worked in a butcher's shop. You know, you, it doesn't yeah. matter where you come from. You can get those kind of grassroots. Um, you, you can deal with anybody. Like, like you say, the, the VC from Harvard yeah. or, or the person that clean, clean the street, you can connect with both types of people yeah. and types of communities. I'm very passionate about the UK. I think the talent in the UK out punches a lot of other countries. It's one of the reasons I wanted to move to America as a British company, because I'd worked for two American companies before. Just had this frustration. Why can't Brits do it abroad? Why can't, you know, going into, we were going into Brexit too, which is not something I agree with, but if we are, then the UK has to start out punching and going to other places. So if I can set an example that you can do it, that's what I wanted to do. But the, the thing I've learned in America is there's an optimism here. Um, when, you, when you're pitching investors here, they only think of the reasons it could be massive, whereas when you pitch investors in the UK, quite often it can be reasons it won't work. And I think that's just the biggest mentality switch and uh, that I've learned moving here, uh, the optimism and the sense of opportunity and that anything's possible is definitely visible here. And I think if, if British entrepreneurs have a bit more of that, then um, I think that would be a good thing. That's a very interesting point because I, I lived in Hong Kong for 20 years. So, you know, yeah. I spent 20 years of my life in England, 20 years in Hong Kong. And I think there's there's such strengths and weaknesses in, in all markets. I mean, the U.S. is another yes. great example. Well, weaknesses here too, right? Just um, just to be clear, in the U.S., it's quite, they're quite visible as well. Yeah, of course. Well, that's it. I mean, part of it is... Um, sometimes the circles that you're in right so if you're if you're in i mean in in uh, any part of the world you'll find a group of people that will tell you that's not possible come on there's there's millions of drinks companies doing you know they've got big budgets how are you going to start a drinks company there will always be people like that in every market including the us right yeah. but it's all to do with the the circles that you kind of end up in right they influence you but i'm interested totally. about the cultural difference between the UK and the US. Do you feel like having gone to the US that it's 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 been easier to build the business there than it was in the UK, or do you feel like it's it's there's some nuance to it that you weren't expecting and it was actually harder? I think doing both at once has been hard. So I think that's keeping the UK business going whilst being in another country is like definitely a challenge. And the time zones you can't quite imagine the complexity of time zones. I think building a business in America. It, it's much more entrepreneur friendly here in terms of raising capital, hiring and firing is much easier. Um, things are much more expensive and obviously the size of the country creates an opportunity, but also a risk in the sense that there's so many people here. There's so many places to sell stuff. Um, but equally that creates a, well, we could make a mistake here and go into the wrong region and, and be so far deep into that region that we can't get out of it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that just creates a different level of energy and optimism. And then there's a, again, it's hard to really, it's hard to criticize either way because the working culture here is very much tw like very low, hol very low holiday work, long hours. I think America is one of the lowest in the world, right? I mean, of all the countries, yeah. it's uh, yeah, hardly any holiday. No, very, yeah. If you, if I email my lawyer here anytime, get a response within an hour. Um, which is great from the founder's point of view. I'm not sure how good it is for the per, a lawyer, right? Um, and I know in the UK, you can find lawyers that will reply anytime too, right? So it's not, not that many, to be honest. It's, not it's... that, but, it, but it, I just think it's like part of life here. And I think, it, you know, in a, in a good and bad way, in New York, if you're stood in a coffee shop, you're overhearing a conversation about business um, pretty much nine times out of 10. Uh, I don't know if it's a good thing. 
Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's always been interesting to me. Are, yeah. The cultural difference. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, Hugh, but I, I always thought the tipping culture, for example, is a good way of explaining the difference between the UK and the US. I used to hate yeah. the idea of tipping when I first went to the US, but slowly but surely, I completely came to appreciate it that people in that workforce are underpaid. So you pay them a bit more yeah. and then they enjoy their job because they can afford to enjoy that job and actually service gets better for you, right? So, yeah. you know, that I actually well, see some benefit to it. it. It's interesting, isn't it? You look at... I mean, even the way wealth is treated here, right? In the UK, you, you can be a you know a Premier League footballer with a white Bentley and make 20, 20 million quid and people will sneer at you because you have no class. Mm. <laughs> but in the US, that's kind of what everyone aspires to be. <sighs> so that's a big difference. And obviously you can see it with the prime minister and the president, right? I don't know what's worse. You either have to go to the right school in the UK and have the right friends when you grow up, or in the US, you have to make the most money. You end up with equally unpleasant in my opinion uh, outcomes yeah um so there isn't a right way or a wrong way well, it's, it's interesting because in england ways definitely people in england want that success but i guess there's also an element of envy i, I always had uh, this idea because i lived in hong kong so there was like, this analogy around like yeah. in america if you have a nice car people are like in awe oh you've got such a nice car that's amazing in yeah. england if you've got a nice car you're scared that someone's going to key it or it's going to end up, you know, getting yes, damaged. Exactly. Whereas, in, whereas in Hong Kong, if you've got a nice car, no one cares about any of it. There's no, there's no yeah. either way. The people that own them, the people that see them, no one cares. It's complete neutral. Like no one cares because there's, there's just so many wealthy people. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, so it's so interesting when you when you compare cultures that way. Yeah, and I think that just that just influences every part of it. And there's big bits I miss about home, just like the business conversations drifting into interesting stuff. Whereas here, it's always very business focused and transactional. Um, can be can end up, I believe, quite vacuous as well sometimes in the sense of you know what's in it for me. But as a founder growing the business, it the opportunity here is just like it's almost addictive. As an as an entrepreneurial type person, you're just like wow, there's so much potential. Um, an opportunity and you meet a lot of people every day who feel the same mm. and I think that's infectious too um, but you know I did miss lots of, of lots of the UK and I, I think working you know the geographical part here spreads teams out as well whereas in the UK everyone can be in the same city or the same place within reason maybe you have a few remote work, sales people etc but mm. it does mean that you have less of that kind of like cent- central office culture mm. and there's a lot of depending on your industry of course but for us we have teams California, Arizona, you know, wherever. Mm. So that has changed things too. And I do miss a bit of that from the UK, going I mean, to the pub with your team after work and things like that. I can see a great book in this because I think people love it. I mean, a lot of my listeners are probably probably <laughs> yeah. asking the question, if I was to start a business today, if you were to start your drinks company again today, would you start in the US or would you start in the UK? I think if I was starting a drinks company, I'd start in the US, but I'm not sure I'd start a drinks company again. So like... <laughs> I, I think you have to really examine the impact that those decisions would make in your life, right? Um, what would you, you start know? if you could do I, I didn't give you this question in advance. Oh, a bit unfair. If you were to start a I business. About, how long you got? Do you want to do another hour? I've got like <laughs> a list as long as my arm and I have to resist doing them every single day. But um, That's another thing about an entrepreneur, by the way. Control, right? That's a very important point because you have the ability to create lots of things and, and saying well, no yeah. is not easy, right? Not easy. Is there um, one off the top of your head you, you can, can throw out there? Is there one you you throw out there that you you know? Um, no, as, as a food and beverage guy, I see lots of opportunities. And if I was in the UK, I think it's different to the US. And I, my my big thing generally at the moment is how can you strip sugar out of products? Mm. Um, I and I always try and think about normal people, regular people. I don't want to create products that are like ten quid, ten dollars for like people in Manhattan or Central London. I always think about, okay, what's somebody in Birmingham or like, you know, Tennessee going to buy in the supermarket? And so I think that's how can you make a product without the bad stuff in it that people will pick up at the price point that they're used to picking it up at? And you can go through a, li- a long list of every single product in the supermarket. Oh, just never ending. You can uh, walk around a supermarket and go, we have. I like to call them sleepy categories. Which of these categories is asleep and people have just been buying it with their eyes closed for 20, 30 years. And then how can you make it better? And I honestly, I could list off 20, 30 things right now by walking around Tesco's that you could start. Um, just as companies that are asleep and they're making like hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of millions of pounds, and no one's ever challenged them. Mm. Um, and you can see it happening with direct consumer businesses now, but yeah, 
I've got a bunch of ideas, but like that's kind of the framework. If I was going to start something and you put a gun to my head, I'd I'd probably follow that framework. That's fantastic. Um, I think whether I do it in the US or UK depends on lifestyle choices as well. But yeah, um, that's another point. Yeah. Actually, you know, sometimes making decisions around lifestyle is not a bad idea. It's uh, you know, no, that, growing your business. I, I didn't consider the consequences of moving to America in my late twenties uh, when I said let's launch in America. Mm. Um, and they played out and it's not been all, all easy. Certainly. Oh, well. certainly this year is like been tough, right? Totally. Um, I mean, living but, uh, outside of where your family yeah. is, is never easy anyway. I mean, and it's, it's a big, uh, it's a big investment, like you say, and, and you've, it's a theme of some of the things you mentioned today. It's a big sacrifice actually to, to do that. It's also an exciting adventure. All that cultural yeah. experience you've managed to have. Like you say, you've done it too. Living away from the UK and looking back at the UK, you appreciate certain things and you can also see limitations in the British mentality as well. Mm. Um, and that's been fascinating. And I think I'll hold on to that forever, right? I'm sure you look at your experience in Hong Kong, like almost, you don't notice it almost. Mm. Um, just creates, it makes you more worldly. And so starting a business plus doing it abroad is an amazing self-development journey to go on. Mm. Um painful one <laughs> sometimes you want that or not is down to i, I think it's important i think it's important for people to hear it because they can make informed consent decisions right based on on the yeah. outcomes of people that have done it this is the whole point of this podcast i absolutely appreciate you sharing i mean i can also talk about my own so sometimes like living overseas is like opening pandora's box your world opens yeah. up but then you end up loving and hating you know the place that you're from and that's really yeah. tough. You know, you go back to England. Yeah. I've had this. I come back to England and I'm like, well, you know, there's some things Hong Kong does better than England. Well, I'll move back there then. Yeah. You'd be like, well, yeah. no, I'm, it's great, it's great I'm here. It's raining in London in the middle of November, right? And it's like <laughs> seven in the morning and pitch black outside. Totally. It's, yeah. uh, but obviously that's part of it. And that's yeah. why you can go into a nice, warm, cozy pub, right? And have a pint with your mates. And there's something great about that too, totally. or whatever else you want to do. So. Yeah, it's all about yeah. variety as well, isn't it? Part of it is um, you've got to have all those experiences to know what you don't like. A bit like you were saying about your jobs in your early career. You know, you do yeah. all these crappy jobs because that's how you find out what you like doing and what you don't like doing. If you don't have those uh, experiences. I think travel, by the way, is definitely up there in in that um, awakening thing as far as being self-aware yeah. is concerned. When you start recognizing different patterns instead of just being in your existing habits of where you've always grown up and lived. I I agree. Uh, obviously, it's a privilege to be able to travel and not everyone can afford to do it or have that opportunity. But um, yeah, certainly not just going to like Spain every year and sitting on the beach is uh, if you can try and, you know, even within Europe and, you know, you can get to Morocco in like three hours. You can get to Istanbul in like four hours, right? And Russia and Eastern Europe. There's so many places to experience and learn from yeah. beyond just like going to the south of Spain and sitting on the beach for two weeks or mm. Greece or wherever, you know, just important to get out there and see the world and learn about it, I think. Totally, couldn't agree more. What was your big break in the business? Do you think there was a moment? Um, I, I never, you can never see them. You can only see them looking backwards. I don't think we've ever had that moment where it's really taken off. Um, people out externally might say differently, but um, I think... There's a bunch of serendipity, right? Where we've bumped into certain investors. We met one of our lead investors doing a demo in Selfridges, for example. I think there's moments like that where we've had funding that has allowed us to really grow the business that I would describe as the big breaks. Um, but I think we're still on the path towards the thing that really changes the inflection curve, certainly in the US. And I'd love that to happen in the next year or two. So no big break as such yet. I don't think we've had that moment, but um yeah, I think a lot of it's just come through hard work right now. And do you think the investor side, which I know a lot of people are interested in as well, was that a very difficult thing? Was there, you know, was it, I mean, for example, you pitch a business that's already doing well, like you've got now, you know, 2 million cans sold recently online. It starts to feel like that would be quite an easy pitch to an investor. But in the early days, not so easy to make people yeah, see no, the Yeah, in the early days, we definitely didn't know what we were doing. And if I started another business today, it'd be totally different at it. Um, I think... Definitely, if you're going to raise money and you haven't done it before, get advice from people who have and really get people to help you build the story, the presentation, check the numbers, understand the legal process, get the right team around you to allow you to make decisions that don't harm your business. Uh, I don't think we've made many or any of those, but we've definitely done deals or made deals in our early 20s that impact my life now and impact the structure of the business now. But you have to live with these decisions. So you can reduce the chance of making a bad one that's better but um 
Yeah, for, when we, if I look back, I almost can't even bring myself to look back at the first presentation, and <laughs> I would be too painful, embarrassing for me to look at. These, these things <laughs> become yeah. icons later. I was just looking at the uh, first pitch deck for YouTube, which is yes. awful, but unbelievably accurate about where the world was going. You know, so yeah. some, sometimes you know it's uh, you'll look back and cringe, but it'll no, be shared exactly. on LinkedIn I, one I day. It'll be shared on LinkedIn. It'll be a case study. Look what they did at the beginning. You know. Well, that's it. And um, if you dig on the internet, you can find out what ugly used to look like and it looks totally different. And I think Reid Hoffman said, if you launch with something perfect or if, you, if you're happy with the first product you launch, you launch too late. And I would agree with that. I think you have to let go of perfection to start a company because how it, how it starts on day one and what you're, what's in your head is only going to evolve and change the whole time. So you just got to get going, basically, mm-hmm. because it will not stay the same. And if you hold on to perfection, you're going to be trapped in a prison of not listening to consumers, not listening to market feedback and, and it's never going to work out. True. We are the good luck club podcast. I always like to talk about luck a little bit. What do you feel about luck and how it plays a role in business? Um, it's a difficult, it's a difficult question in the sense that I think, I think I like to feel in control and I feel like most of the good things and bad things that happen to ugly and to me are, are, within my control or at least results of things that I've done. Um, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not quite sure, but I think Seneca said, what does he say? Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So I always like to think that by putting yourself in the position for good luck, so you maximize your, your chances of striking out or hit or hitting it. Um, so many of the things that people would describe that have happened to ugly as luck or serendipity I would argue are the result of putting ourselves in the position for those things to happen to us and being a hundred, a hundred miles an hour, being full energy, being positive. Um, good things start to come back the other way. And so, yes, you can be doing a demo in a store and somebody, David Beckham walks past and Instagrams your product. Maybe that's luck, but if you're not in the store in the first place, you know, it's never going to happen. So you have to prepare yourself as best you can for those moments to, to happen that would appear lucky on the outside. Bad luck. Again, is the pandemic bad luck? Is that bad luck for us that that happened in Wuhan and then went around the world? You could argue that's a bad luck, but these things happen, don't they? Um, yeah, you can only control what you can control. Uh, so if you put yourself in a good position for good luck to happen alongside that, then I think that'll happen. But, Mm. it's it's complicated luck is, luck is in, i believe luck is the result of decisions you make yourself really um i guess you know the, dic- the dictionary definition yeah. is wrong then because the dictionary definition is what it's is it? random Have I got it wrong? no you've not got it wrong this is, this... dictionary. no I, I, we we are trying to get them to update it because we think there should be two definitions the random luck let's say where you're born or um oh, true. as you say you know coronavirus i am lucky yeah, I mean, You're right. it, it, but it's it's kind of an interesting thing to because why I would I, I liked your point about you know David Beckham walks by, um, and you know I don't know what David Beckham feels like. Uh, some of our podcast listeners no. might not even know who he is anymore. That oh, might, we might be showing our age. Everybody knows who he is. Oh, God. Victoria Beckham, maybe. But anyway, he, um, you know, that whole energy, I would, add, I would probably add one layer to your point, which is a good point, which is you know you had to be in the store for him to you know walk past, but. One the step is you also grab him and make sure he doesn't miss your stand. You know. Yeah, and the product has to be something you like. You know, the list of things that makes that something that happens. But yeah, you're right. I should backtrack a little bit. I am very, very lucky to have come from the UK. Yeah, you know, you um, said it earlier, and I, and you've already been very humble about that point. I think I think it's something yeah. I've said on other shows, just about the whole concept of luck, because it it really interests me. I think in business, people are like, oh, you were lucky, it can be an insult to people, you know. But actually, oh, I would take it as an insult. I would take yeah, it as an insult and, and I, sure. I I yeah. did by the way. I I, uh, I people said to me, oh, you just sold your company. Oh, how lucky is that? I'm like, well, I spent 16 years building it up, so PwC you would buy. I I don't think that was. Yeah. How can you call that luck? You know, I would say it was unlucky. <laughs> I had to wait 16 years. You know, it's a uh, it's. <laughs> Uh, but but I, I I do understand as well that the fact that PwC bought my company is lucky in itself because they had a policy change that they decided they were going to start buying up companies like mine right so it's uh, and talking of that you must have had I'm sure you can't say this but you must have had loads of people coming to try and buy your business or, or um, competitors well we're in the we're, we're in the in the realms of that yeah I can't talk about it but 
that that is an option for us in the future. Yeah. I, I would. Um, I see you as totally a purchase target, and I think that uh, you know that that's another way to scale the business sometimes and have more people um, consume a healthy product. That's it. We that's what has always been for us. We want to be around for a hundred years. Want people to drink less soda, and if that's the right way for us to, to make that happen, then that's an option. Yeah, I think um, that's, a, that's a wise way. I try looking. not to think about it too much. No, um, well, no, but yeah, no. there is interest, of course. Yeah. Well, I, I sold my business, and uh, you know, a shout out to my family, uh, fluid in, in Hong Kong. You know, sometimes I wish I hadn't. Um, you know, you, yeah. you you kind of you are kind of selling your family. You kind of you know, so there's a hard that balance act between the mission of the business, which I think is something you've really got in your business. I really respect what you're trying to do. Sometimes the mission being bigger than what's good for you. So being the CEO of a successful drinks company might be good for you, but it might not necessarily be the best leadership for the drinks company to fulfill its purpose as you say right so getting that yeah, balance right is really interesting well um i could talk to you all day and uh I, I think i would actually like to do <laughs> that sometime it. over a drink uh, maybe i'll come to america or if you come back to england i can hear your mum talking in the background like he sounds sad come home you know so i don't oh, know okay. yeah hopefully she's not too upset with anything i've said she does generally listen to every podcast i record so hi, oh mom. really yeah no, well uh, yeah. yeah hi hi uh hi hughes mum but um yeah she uh, i'm sure she's saying come home come home and if you do come home I, yeah. i'd love to i'd love to have a drink with you i want to thank you Definitely. for giving up time to talk to the audience today and share your insights i'd love to have you back on actually as, as things develop sure. hit, hear more of your story i think there's so much more there we'll just end on one last kind of fun question if you went back to younger hugh and gave some advice what would it be um look after yourself as uh, number one um in in a non-selfish way i think it is the only way to be present for others and i definitely burnt myself out pushing myself to do things other people didn't want a lot for the first 10 years of my first 10 years of my career. Um, so I, I would be like, don't worry, think good things will happen, but you have to look after yourself. Um, I would say that's number one um, for me. Great. I'm going to sum up a few things that I've taken from the podcast today. I love this whole um, control the fire piece. I think for anyone that's uh, looking to be an entrepreneur and lighting that fire themselves or a, already an entrepreneur learning to control that fire I think is so important such an important discipline and good thing to take away and um, buy your URL I liked that earlier um, I wanted to ask you about trademark actually how you man- did you manage to get ugly trademark well I'd, I'd say you wouldn't even need to buy the finished that URL it could be anything it could be at like you know, Simon at like, I don't know, carrot.com or something, right? You at least look more professional. It doesn't have to be ugly at the, at the end. But yes, we have trademarks in 14 countries, actually. Yeah, not easy um, to get a trademark. That's a whole different story. Not, not easy. But if you choose a name like ugly and you go for water trademarks, it's generally been, uh, you know, if we'd chosen like health water, I'd probably have had all sorts of trouble. <laughs> Vitamin so, water, you definitely uh, have a problem. <laughs> Standing out from the crowd makes that easier for sure and being brave with your naming. Well, it's interesting because even I would have thought just the word ugly is quite, um, quite a, it was a fantastic name, really vivid name to remember, but it, it also feels like a quite a, you know, a dictionary word. It's not like Google that's completely invented, actually trademarking that. I feel like I'd have a yeah. whole conversation with you on that, but I do like the whole point of sometimes starting a business, just buy a URL and instantly you can look professional. So uh, we you should probably... And put a little email signature with some basic graphic design and you immediately look 10 times different, yeah. Yeah, we should, get, we should get this sponsored by Wix or GoDaddy or something suddenly, I'm thinking. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. De- definitely. Yeah, exactly right. I like, I like the idea as well, like eBay addiction when you were young. I like, I like the idea of being obsessed with the craft as early as you can, you know, kind of learning how things work and being obsessed with it. I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, I like this whole point you've also mentioned in the podcast about do you know anyone that can help us? I think this is gold, actually. And again, something when people say, oh, would you like to invest in me? And they hear a no, they kind of walk away. The best... Uh, often startup founders are the ones that say, oh, I totally understand, but do you know anybody who can help us? I just think that's gold uh, advice um, and, and just wanted to make sure people really, you know, write that down and write it on the wall, you know, ask people, you'll be surprised. So um, don't look for a co-founder. I think that's also good advice because there's so many companies out there that won't even invest in you unless you've got a co-founder. But that doesn't mean that their philosophy is right. If it's right for you, it will happen. I like that serendipity uh, word you've mentioned a few times i think that kind of plays well into the co-founder role too i think of course the overriding thing in the podcast that you've highlighted and i'm so glad you have is take care of yourself 
and I know I don't know how many times we we can say it. I know you know the younger Hugh wouldn't have listened, but maybe Hugh talking mm-hmm. to Hugh right now maybe will listen. And uh, I really think that's maybe important. I probably still would have ignored myself. Yeah. No, no. We have to. We <laughs> know Hugh, Hugh's listening. Got to listen. Hugh's got to listen to Hugh. But uh, <laughs> success is balance. I like that too. I mean, it's 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 always said. But I think you've actually articulated what that balance is. And it's, I guess it's a permanent reflection. The music will stop from time to time. And so, you know, but you don't need the music to stop to have self-reflection. I think that doesn't, you don't need to have COVID necessarily to have self-reflection. We don't, yeah, need, exactly. we don't need Trump to get in for another four years to have self-reflection. You know, we can, we can yeah. do it before that depression sinks in. But um, be present for others. I like that too. I know uh, sometimes in entrepreneurship, um, there's a lot of people out there who will talk about the nuts and bolts about how to build a business. But I like talking about this EQ piece, this emotional piece. And be present for others um, actually gives you, you know, the chance to fill your own bucket because they, you know, interacting with friends, family and having a hug from time to time can, can really make a difference to your own energy and business, can't it? So some really good messages in, in your points today, Hugh. So again, thank you. No, of course, thanks for having me. And um, hopefully it was insightful for people and didn't just listen to me talk about building a beverage company, which is uh, not, you know, not quite as important. And um, I don't want to put anyone off being a founder. I think it's the most rewarding thing ever. Uh, And I'm very, very passionate about the space, but um, equally I've learned a lot about what that really means along the way. Um, So it's just worth going into it eyes wide open. And if anybody wants to reach out and get in touch with me and chat about this stuff, you can find me in many different ways on the internet. Um, search you and ugly and I will come up probably so um, yeah if anybody wants to reach out to me they can and um, yeah, hopefully it was interesting thank you for listening to the Purposeful Project podcast today if you got any value from this podcast then do feel free to give us a review and give us your feedback and if you think anybody out there might enjoy this story of this real life successful entrepreneur then feel free to share and of course go and visit purposefulproject.com and join our mailing list at any point Thanks again for listening.